The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Um, hello, uh, my name is Jonas, and I will be reading the word today, Luke 19, 11 through 13. Please rise as I read the word. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. I will now read the word in German. Die Leute hörten Jesus aufmerksam zu. Sie meinten, Gottes Reich würde unmittelbar anbrechen, sobald Jesus in Jerusalem eintraf. Darum erzählte er ihnen noch ein Gleichnis. Ein Fürst trat eine weite Reise an, um sich zum König über seine Volk kronen zu lassen. Dann sollte er wieder in sein Land zurückkehren. Bevor er abreiste, rief er zehn seiner Verwalter zu sich, gab jedem ein Pfund Silberstück und sagte, setz dieses Geld gewinnbringend ein, bis ich zurückkomme. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So, fam, how are you guys doing this morning? Good. There's two of you awake. I like that. Welcome to Sunday morning. We're glad that you are here. Uh, man, that video is incredible. There is so much more, I feel like, to share with you guys about uh, Gracia, Costa Rica, and what's happening at Residence of Life. But one of the reasons we filmed in Gracia is because Residence of Life has a 100% success rate with kids who age out of the system. In fact, the girl, Natya, that you saw saying, I, I, I can't even really explain, but it's made me the woman I am, is in university studying to be a psychologist so she can come back and be one of the psychologist moms at the home. The girl in the red shirt that you saw tried to stab the workers there originally, ended up as a drug mule, pregnant, came back and said, the only place I was ever loved was in this home. And now she's there working with the other kids who are trying to graduate. So it is an incredible story. I can't wait till you get to experience it. It's going to be a great project. Thank you for those of you who have already been uh, involved in that. Oh, again, welcome to Story City. My name is Jared. For those that don't know me, I have the honor of being one of your pastors here. And I've, I've realized as I was prepping this message that many of you have joined us in the last few months. And so I just wanted to share, I know whenever I've joined a new church, it's kind of like, well, this is cool. I like it. Like, how, how do I get more? What's kind of the next steps? And so if you're wondering that, we would say that we believe our apprenticeship rhythms are the best way to get plugged into relationships and to grow. And Jesus left us with two sacraments uh, before his, his ascension to heaven. That's communion and baptism. He said, do these regularly. And so uh, as a part of the baptism commandment, he also taught us uh, to help others apprentice him. So uh, we would use the word discipleship and apprenticeship interchangeably. And so at Story City, we would say There are multiple paths to apprenticing Jesus in the church, but there's one overarching rhythm. And so we hope and desire to see everybody that comes here uh, engaged in these apprenticeship rhythms. We would express it like this. We worship in services, we live in groups, we learn in studies, and we serve in teams. What does that mean? God himself is in perfect community, and so worshiping in service is, is about being in community with each other. 
One of my favorite pastors, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, said anyone who thinks he can live the Christian life himself is proclaiming he is not a Christian. There's power when God's people gather to celebrate and praise him. You can feel it, like in worship this morning, right? I mean, it's Hector, great job this morning joining us for not knowing us. You killed it. Did a great job in teaching us. Thank you, Marquet, for leading incredible team this morning. Um, yeah. But it's about teaching. We actually learn through the process of praise, right? We learn as we're guided, and this is what it means to worship, and we encourage and challenge each other to submit to what God is doing. All that happens in corporate worship. What about groups? Well, in Acts 2, it talks about this. In addition to meeting uh, corporately, the church met in homes. And so to steal a line from Pastor John Mark Comer, we would say we want to move the emphasis from the stage to the table. This means that our primary case for, uh, primary place for care, for discipleship, for evangelism, uh, and community and service is actually in groups, not necessarily on a Sunday morning service. And while Sunday gatherings are imperative, they are secondary to the experiences of life and life in our groups. What does it mean to learn in studies? Jesus commands us to teach others to follow and obey him. At Story City, we would say this happens through relational apprenticeship in addition to focused and specific classes to help people apprentice Jesus better. And these classes may range from classes that build cooking skills and community to classes on parenting or biblical exegesis and the like. Each class is Christ-centered and designed to help us become healthier apprentices of Jesus each and every day. What about serving in teams? Why do we use the word in? We use in because Jesus said we are to be servants of each other. A story city's culture is one of, of servant leadership. That's an imperative for us because we believe that our mission is bigger than ourselves. We're not here to build story city's name. It doesn't matter how big story city gets. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're trying to make Jesus's name great. Jared is not here. I love speaking about myself in the third person. Jared is not here to, to be famous or to be on the circuit. I don't care if anybody ever remembers me. I care that we have an impact in Los Angeles and this place has changed for Jesus. And so that means that we believe in lifting up and championing those around us, even if it means that they get more than us. We believe in lifting people up, even if it means they get more credit than us. We believe in lifting those around us. And as we do, we are all lifted up. We believe in being inconveniently generous, especially in how we serve others. Now, you're already involved in these rhythms because you're here. Whether you're joining us online or in person, you're worshiping in services. I want to encourage you to continue to connect the rhythms that you're not yet a part of. And the best way to do that is, as uh, Kat said this morning, is scan the Engage QR code on the seat back in front of you. Or if you want, if you're joining us online, you're like, I can't get to the form, just email us at teams at storycitychurch.com and we'll get you connected. Good? Is that all right this morning? Okay. We are continuing our uh, series called Redefined, a Christian Perspective on Wealth and Power. And today's sermon is entitled, Mo Money, Mo Kingdom. If you don't get that, then we cannot be friends. <laughs> In our first message, we talked a lot about, some of you are just getting it now. I love that. That's fantastic. It's okay. You can Google it, and then I'll still give you credit for getting, getting it. That's all right. 
Listen, in our first uh, our sermon, I talked about how we don't use worldly power to accomplish God's plans, but we also don't reject power outright. We become a conduit for God's power, God's purposes, and God's plan in God's kingdom. Last week, Jeff Carlson came and talked about how our faithfulness with money hinges on what we believe about money. And he pointed out that faithful Christians believe that God gives us our money, wants us to use that money, and cares how we use that money. And so for those of you taking notes today, this is today's big idea. God entrusts us with his resources to further his kingdom. God entrusts us with his resources to further his kingdom. We're going to see that God is a generous God, that we are money managers, not money owners, and that our success is found in obedience, not in the amount of return. Now, some of you might have noticed how similar this passage is to last week passages, but there's actually differences between the stories. And, and some people have said, well, it's the same story, just different authors wrote it differently uh, or recorded it differently. But I believe Jesus, who is constantly using parables and stories to teach, actually would use the basis of the same story and then contextualize it both for his audience or for the lesson that he was trying to teach. And so sometimes he could use the same base story but get a different principle out of it because it's his story and he was a master at using parables and stories to teach the people that are around. And so while these stories are similar, I want to point out some things I think we can learn from this passage in Luke that are actually set up rather nicely from the passage in Matthew. And again, there are some differences in them. So let's go ahead and read the entire passage this morning. It's Luke chapter 19, and it's verses 11 to 27. I will not be reading in German this morning. Good job, Jonas. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. And so he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in a bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they said to him, Master, he has 10 minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And for the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Jeff definitely didn't preach the ending of that one last week. (laughs) What the heck is happening here? Like, whew. 
It would have been easier just to leave that last verse off, right? This would have been a much more fun sermon to preach if that were the case. Okay, so one of the things that you realize when you get to the Holy Land, and I highly encourage you guys to go, obviously this year, uh, uh, with what's going on, uh, we've postponed our Israel trip, but we will be doing it the year after. And so I highly recommend that you go because you realize when you're there that Jesus constantly used what was around him to teach. He's constantly using uh, the, the physical landscape, relevant culture and history. He's, he's bringing in things that people would know and understand in order for them to get what he's saying. And Jesus always taught in a way that people could understand. Now, some 30 years before Jesus tells this parable, there's a man named Archelaus who was the son of King Herod the Great, king of Judah. But this kingdom was under the Roman Empire. And so uh, when one, comment, uh, one commentator noted that when Herod died, everybody assumed Archelaus would be king, but he had to go to Caesar in order to be granted his kingship. And so Archelaus makes his trip to Rome. He gets there. He's all excited. All right, I'm, it's obvious choice. And he's met with a delegation of people contesting his rule. Some are family members, but most surprisingly is a group of Jewish people who uh, were protesting his rule because he had done the beautiful stupidity of murdering 3,000 of them. So they're not going to love being ruled by a guy who's killed so many, right? In the end... Caesar still anoints Archelaus king, and this is a problem, right? Uh, but mostly it's a problem because Archelaus now knows all the people that came and tried to oppose him, and so it does not go well for those people when he comes back with his kingship. So Jesus takes this story that's very personal, right? There's pain in this story to the Jews. And he takes this and he's teaching the Jewish people a gospel principle through this story that would have been really relevant to them. And it's interesting that Jesus chooses this particular story because it's a hard story and he applies it to himself. But there's a clue in this, in the book of Luke, as to why Jesus told this story at this time, in this place, in this way. And it comes from verse 11. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable. Here's why. Because he was near Jerusalem, what's happening is Jesus is on his way to the cross. They, he's been telling people this, but people haven't understood that. And so he's letting them know, I, I'm about to be murdered. And he's, uh, he says also, Luke says, is because they thought the kingdom of God was going to be instilled in that moment. Now, as you look at the way that Luke has organized this chapter, as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, he has been answering all these questions related to the kingdom and to money. Right before this parable, we have Zacchaeus, the tax collector. We have a, a story about the rich young ruler, a comment on possessions and the kingdom. The story of a Pharisee and a tax, a tax collector all precede this story. But Luke notes that what motivated it is that uh, Jesus is getting close to that place where there's not much time left. And he knows that he's about to enter Jerusalem and they're going to be proclaiming him king, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Laying their coats down, bringing palm branches down. Because they thought Jesus was seizing the physical kingdom away from the Romans in that moment. And so Jesus uses this story with him as a nobleman who will go away to receive his kingship. Just a short time after that, those same people who are going to proclaim him king are going to demand his execution when, they refuse, when he refuses to be the king that they want him to be. Yes. This is what verse 14 is all about. 
But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. There's a delegation crying, crucify, crucify, crucify. Jesus relates to this story. And I think this is a big part of why he's doing it. But also he's teaching us a lesson. He's saying, look, I'm going away, but my kingdom is not going to go away. Whether you like it or not, this kingdom is going to be established. It's just a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. And this spiritual kingdom, whether you like it or not, will one day abolish all kingdoms. And though he's going away through his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, still one day he will return in all his glory and hold people accountable for what they did with what they were given. And this is the lesson Jesus is teaching through the story of Archelaus. And so for those taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. Our God is a generous God. Our God is a generous God. Now, last week, Pastor Jeff talked about how faithfulness with our money hinges on what we believe about money. And I would add to that, and I would say that what we believe about God's character will determine whether we're willing to be faithful in the first place. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how we tend to take one of two positions with with money, or when it comes to power, sorry. Either we lean heavily into seeking power or we reject it all together. And I talked about how trying to take the world's idea of power, even if we try to use it for good things, is wrong. It's like trying to take gasoline to put out a fire. It may be wet, but it's still the wrong liquid to put on fire. On the other hand, many of us who reject power completely do so because we've seen it abused. Many of us have seen it abused. It doesn't take much looking around, especially in the church. And so I posited that the Bible teaches a third way that like God's kingdom is counterintuitive to the things we've been taught. That God's power is to be used with God, for God's purposes. We are entrusted with God's power and empowered with God's power, not for our purposes, and it's not our power It doesn't belong to us. Family, I believe it's the exact same principle with money. As apprentices of Jesus, we've been moved out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of heaven, which is characterized by values, rules, and priorities that are diametrically opposed to the kingdoms of this world. And so we live in this weird state. We live where everything around us reassures us that the way the world says is what works. And yet we are called to something else. Some of us have been raised with this idea of, well, just use the, kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness's money for good. It's that same principle. We've been taught, get all you can, and then once you're secure, then we can use that for good purposes, right? Just build up what you can into my retirement, then I'll start being really generous. I'll be a philanthropist in that way. And there's two problems with this thinking. The first, there is an underlying assumption that the ability to make money is independent of God. That somehow, like, well, we're just going to do all the stuff and then we'll use it for God's purposes, ignores that God is the one that gave us the ability in the very first place. The second problem is, it's been borne out time and time and time again as true, is if we're not generous when we have little, we will never be generous when we have much. You don't suddenly grow good character. You don't suddenly have a different way. Like the people that I know that have gone from extremely poor to extremely rich, and I know a few of them, like they'll tell you that more money equals more problems. One of my friends who, who came from nothing to multimillionaire says that, that the biggest lesson he learned that having money is the surest way to expose defects in character. 
And he's like, hey, I never got to the place where I was like, oh, I have so much, I don't know what to do with it. There's, you know, less than 1% of the world that ends up in that situation, right? The reality is that most of us, we get more and our lifestyle grows with it and there's not enough room. I'm not saying that those people are never generous. I'm saying it's not easy. It's not like you reach some paradise where it's like, oh, cool, everything's good now, I can do this. If you don't have that character already, it's not gonna happen later. There's story after story of ministers who have fallen in love with money and have led people away from biblical principles for personal gain. On the flip side, many of us, or because of that, many of us have been told that money is the root of all evil, which is actually not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's love of money and all that implies, meaning that uh, power, wealth, influence, and status when it's taken over God and people is the root of evil. We're told, many of us were told that money was bad and no faithful Christian should have too much. That's also not a biblical principle. And the idea is, well, if you do, you're going to compromise your faith. Frequently, especially in reaction to those ministers who have abused their positions, we expect Christians and in particular pastors to have a poverty mentality, right? Now, look, I'm not saying there aren't pastors who abuse it, right? There's, there's pastors and sneakers for a reason, and God has given us, some of, the, some of us, the ability to make a good amount of money. That's not wrong. But the reality is, is that God gives us any amount of money we have, whether it's small or large, so that we can use it to further his kingdom. I know many people whom God has only entrusted a little bit of money to. That doesn't mean God isn't pleased with them. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It means that's the season that God's got them in and that's what he's entrusted them with. And he expects the same character whether they've been entrusted with little or with much. It's not the amount that matters but the faithfulness with the amount we've been given. The Bible is clear. If we want to be entrusted with much, we have to be entrusted with little and we have to be faithful with that first. So where do we start in understanding our relationship with money? This is such a, a sensitive topic to us, right? But it's, it's not about money, family. It's about our hearts. The Bible says we start with God's character. And the Bible is about God's pursuit of his traitorous and rebellious people. But it's also resplendent with his generous grace, his mercy, his love, his patience with us. All of that he gives away freely. Additionally, the Bible says he freely gives away faith, the ability even to believe in him. Wisdom, it says, if you don't have it, just ask me for it. Provision and more. Not because we've earned it, but because he is good. Simply good and generous by nature. And the amount given in last week's, parable, last week's parable differed based on ability, right? To one he gives according to ability. But in this week's parable, it doesn't say that. It says that they all received the main amount of money. But why did they get money in the first place? Was it because of their ability? No. It was because they were the servants of the master. It was the master's money. And because they were servants, that's why they got the money. Now, listen, we don't have time to unpack that we could sit in that one particular thing for a long time. So here's what I want us to understand about God's character. And this comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. Jesus is speaking and he says, who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? See, even back then, snakes, no good. <laughs> if then you who are evil knew, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask them? I want to share a personal experience with you that, that might help us understand this point. 
A number of years ago, uh, I really struggled with the idea that I was worth loving. I had a very difficult time loving myself and truly believing that because of that, I was worthy of God's love. I mean, if we struggle to believe that God loves us, we're always going to struggle to believe that he wants what's best for us and he wants to be generous to us. Those things don't mix. Like it's hard for us to receive gifts if we don't believe that we're worthy of receiving gifts, right? Now, some of this comes from, I've talked to you guys about this before, uh, being sexually assaulted. Some of this comes from my own hurts, habits, and hangups. Some of this comes from my upbringing, but it, regardless of where it comes from, it was my reality at the time. I did not love myself. One night in particular, I was really struggling and I was missing my dad who passed away in the early, in the late nineties. And, uh, while praying, I was talking to God and I was like, God, I, I just wish my dad was here. I wish I could talk to my dad. And I felt like in this, in this time, like, and this is not a, a, this is not a sweet prayer time, right? This is one of those, like, I'm really arguing with God. It's like one in the morning, but I don't want to wake up my wife. So I'm in bed, like quiet yelling. You know what I mean? Like I'm struggling with God family. This is not a, a this is, this is ugly. And I was like mad and angry and I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, with God. And I'm t- I was telling God that I, I was struggling with needing wisdom. My, my dad was known for being wise. People would come all the time to him because he had a way of seeing things that no one else could see. And, uh, and so I bring this to God and God is like, uh, I, I'm, I'm the one that gave your dad wisdom. <laughs> Don't you think I could give you the best advice? And I was like, okay, duh, you, you kind of got me there. <laughs> All right. I was like, but... I felt like he asked me like, well, what else? What else are you struggling with? And I was like, you know, my dad wasn't always the best. He was, he was a hard man and, and, and he loved me. And, but there were some really broken things about my dad. But at the end, just before he died of cancer, he would hug me and tell me he loved me. And those moments were very special. And in the most loving and amazing response, I felt like God say, don't you realize I love you more than your dad ever could? And I was like, all right, God, you got me there. And then I felt like he said to me, what else would your dad do for you? And I was like, well, frankly, the last one is one I don't think you can do. And he's like, really? I'm the creator of all the universe. There's something you think that I can't actually do. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't think you can. And he was like, all right, try me. And I said, you know, sometimes my dad would just give me stuff. Sometimes it was random. And it was like, what the heck is this for? And I was like, I just don't think God that you can do that for me. And I felt like he asked me why. And I said, well, I don't feel like I'm supposed to ask you anything unless I need it for ministry. I feel like I just, unless it's a necessity, I, I don't feel like I can ask you. And I felt like there was just this big sigh from God. <laughs> the best way I can say it is, is, is I, I just felt like he said, son, you don't think I want to give you the very best gifts? Don't you think I want you to enjoy the things I give you and think of me when I give them to you? And I was like, nope, I really don't. I have a hard time believing that you love me because I don't love myself. And so how can you love me if I'm not worthy of being loved? And I felt like God just said, try me. Ask for something you don't need. And, and what I asked for was at the time, my daughter and I had soccer. That was a thing that we loved to do together. Uh, you know, we, we would spend a lot of time with her practicing and we talk about soccer a lot. We watch soccer a lot. But my son, Chance, he loves going fast. It doesn't matter what it is. That is just what he absolutely loves. And I was like, man, if I could figure out a way to like get him on my motorcycle, I don't know how we do that because special needs, he's not capable of holding on. But if I could figure out something, my son and I can go fast and like, God, that is what I want to do. 
And I felt like God just say, okay. And then a few months later go by and I'm like, yeah, nothing's happened. See God, <laughs> just like I thought. And, and, if, and frankly, I just stopped thinking about it and moved on. I was like, well, disappointed once again. Not long after that, it was time for us to buy a new truck. And, and I had that, I had just enough amount of money that I, I could go buy something, but it was not going to be new or nice. <laughs> and just enough money that it wasn't, you know, like, like a, a $2,000 beater truck, but it was like that in between. It's like, well, what do you do with that, right? And so I remember convincing my wife, I was like, hey, babe, the best thing we can do is get a classic car because it's going to improve in value. And this is the best. And she's like, all right, whatever, you know, go for it, right? And so I spent six months Six months looking at every Chevy truck in the country I could find. And then one day, my friend Jeff, who went to my last church, he goes, uh, hey, uh, I want you to go check out this truck. It might give you some ideas about what you want to do. It's not for sale. I've already asked my friend, but why don't you come check it out? I was like, yeah, sure. And so we, we pull up to his friend's house. This is Ruby. We pull up to my friend's house and Ruby is sitting in the driveway and I'm like, oh my gosh, that thing is gorgeous. And the very first words out of this guy's mouth is truck ain't for sale. And I was like, I didn't say it was. I didn't, Jeff brought me here. Like, what do you want from me? And the guy's like, I'm just not for sale. I was like, all right. So we start talking cars and I'm a car guy. And so we, we just, we're having fun and he showed me all the things about it. I'm asking questions. He's like, hey, let's go for a ride. So we go for a ride. And, uh, and, and just before we had left, Jeff offered him a large amount of cash for the car. And the guy's like, I told you it ain't for sale. So, all right. So we're driving around and, uh, we're, we're just talking and he goes, Hey, if it were for sale, how much would you offer me? <laughs> and I go, Hey dude, I, I promise you right now, I do not have enough money for what this truck is. I know exactly what this truck is worth. And I am well short of what this truck is worth. I, I can't even like, it would be insulting. Can't even do it. All right. We drive around a few more minutes. He's like, but really, like, what would you throw my way if, if it was for sale? I was like, dude, I, I don't want to tell you what I've got because it's going to be insulting. There's no, this truck is worth more than double what I have. He's like, cool. And then he asked again. He's like, hey, what would you, I was like, hey, dude, all right, here's what I got. And he's like, I ain't giving it away. Truck ain't for sale. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just told you that, right? <laughs> so he's silent for a while. And then he looks at me and he throws out a number only $2,000 over what I had just offered him. Now here's what's crazy. The old truck I had was worth exactly $2,000. And I'm like, this is crazy. I told him, well, hey, I don't, I don't have enough money yet, but I can get it. He goes, truck ain't for sale. I was like, dude, I don't understand what you're saying. He goes, no, listen. He goes, this truck is either going to my grandchildren or it's going to you. I care that you're a car guy, and so I'm willing to give you this truck. If it takes you six months, six weeks, or six years, it's yours if you come up with the money. I don't care how long it takes you. I had that money two days later. (laughs) I brought it home, and it turned out to be one of Chance's favorite things in the world. Every day he would come and he would just walk down the side of it and touch it with his hands. He would, he would grab the picture of it. My son communicates through pictures. He grabbed the picture of it and asked to go sit in it. We would go take a ride. I'd chirp the tires. We'd peel out, do donuts down the street near the other neighbor's houses where they don't know where I lived. Here's the thing. I, we, we, we held Ruby for a very long time until um, I had to pay for my daughter's college. Even though I don't have Ruby any longer, I got to sell her to somebody in Granada Hills, so she's still around here, which is beautiful. Um, But here's the thing. Whether I have the truck or not is not important. What is important is that every time I tell this story, 
especially in prepping for this message. I remember how much God loves me. I remember how much he cares for me and he provides for me. See, his actions show me who he is. He's a loving father. He's a provider. He gives good gifts that I didn't need and yet were an incredible and still are an incredible source of joy for me. And now I can believe that I am worthy of being loved because he's already treated me as his beloved son. I've seen his love in action. Yeah. Our God, I mean, the beauty of the story is I didn't do anything. Right? I didn't do anything. God did it. Our God is a generous God. But because God is a generous God family, that means that we are supposed to be a generous people. That is exactly what we are as image bearers of God. We are to model who he is and how he loves. We are to show the world around us who God is by the way we live. And so we must be a generous people so everything we do points to God. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation for the day. Second observation is this. We are money managers, not money owners. We are money managers, not money owners. Uh, Pastor Jeff spent a good amount of time in this point last week, so I won't hammer it to death. But I do want us to see some things from this parable. Do you remember that Jesus has co-opted this story and made it about his kingdom? And so look at verse 13. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 Minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. The, the nobleman who's going off to be made king expects his servants in his absence to do what? To build his kingdom. You are responsible for what I've given you. You're building the kingdom. Because this message is a parable, Jesus is teaching kingdom principles. It wasn't just meant for that audience, but for this audience. It's meant for us as well. We have a command from God to engage in his business until he returns to implement his kingdom in its fullness for all eternity. And what is that business? Jesus is direct and clear on this topic. In Matthew chapter 28, he, he gave this commission to all of his followers. Jesus came near to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's received his kingship. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of this age. So according to Jesus, anything he gives us is his, and we will be held accountable to whether we use it to further his kingdom or not. Now, this is hard for some of us to reconcile, okay? I've often heard this passage taught, and they're like, hey, talents, gifts, and abilities. Talents is like your, your natural talent. Like America's got talent. But family, that's assuming Jesus spoke English. Contrary to popular pictures, Jesus was not a white Swedish baby. Okay? Jesus is Jewish, still Jewish. Jesus uh, is king. Jesus, when he says talents, is talking specifically about money. It's not your abilities. That's not what Jesus said here. He's talking about money. Now, the passage certainly implies that everything we have comes from God, including our abilities and spiritual gifts. But this lesson from Jesus is specifically about money. So here's the balance we want to walk in. In the kingdom of darkness, we are encouraged to use our money to ensure that our desires, our wants, our pleasures, and needs are our priority. And it's not wrong to use after your needs, wants, desires, pleasures have been met to use your money for something else, but those are our first priorities. But if that's not how God wants us to use our money, and if we're not called to reject money altogether, then the only way we can live is if all our money and our ability to make money belongs to God and is to be used for his purposes. 
If we see ourselves as managers of God's account, we know that we're held accountable for how we use it, right? It's never wrong then. It's never wrong to provide for our families. That's a part of our mission. Our families are our first ministry. We must provide for our families. It's not wrong to enjoy what God's given us and use it so that it points back to God. That's what that truck is. I know it's not up here, but you guys get what I'm point. That truck pointed people back to God. Why? Because I told that story ad nauseum. And so was it wrong to, for a pastor to own a nice truck? No. But it's only wrong if I'm talking about how it makes me special instead of using that story to point to God constantly. Let me give you an example. This is God's character, Old Testament and New Testament. Take a look in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. God is telling people how to use their end of year uh, tithing, especially the stuff that this, this is above and beyond. He says this, you're eat it, you are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine and fresh oil, the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of the Lord your God. So he's saying, hey, don't just do this separately. Do this in my presence. Meet me here in this at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell, in the temple, so that you will always learn to fear God. This is about our heart action. He's not saying, hey, just eat this and don't do something. I want your heart to be towards me when you do this. But if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord God has blessed you, then exchange it for silver, take the silver in your hand, and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. God is still saying, hey, this is where you go, but you're to do something different with this. You may spend the money on any, uh, spend the silver on anything you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer, or anything you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. And then he says, do not reject the Levite within your city gates since he has no portion or inheritance among you. In other words, throw a party and invite your pastor. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> that last line is really about enjoying him for the purpose of fearing him. That's that heart posture that is recognizing he's king and we have nothing apart from him. But specifically, that last line ends with the command that they think about the priest who is living off the tithes and the offerings. And that, so it's, it's about caring for those who cannot care for themselves. It's about ensuring that we don't just enjoy this for ourselves, but we bring people into the celebration, especially those that cannot do that themselves. Because it's a relevant example, let me give you uh, uh, something that is just right around the corner. God says you don't have to have a meager Thanksgiving to be a Christian, right? Throw a fantastic party, give thanks that's the name of the game. Give thanks for all he's provided, but make sure that you invite those who don't have a place to go or the ability to have Thanksgiving on their own. That's what we're called to do. It's not wrong to throw the party, but invite people who can't and then use it to give thanks to God. Family, some of the most generous people in this church do not give the largest amounts of money. Those people consistently seek opportunities to use what they have to love and serve the people around them. Some of us, have been entrusted with the ability to give significantly above our base 10% of tithes and offerings. Now, how do we as, as people who have been given that gift of giving, that gift of generosity, how have those of us who have been entrusted with more leverage that to advance God's kingdom through Story City Church? See, God has called you here to this church at this time for a reason, for a purpose to accomplish God's mission and to see that mission move forward. I'm grateful that there is a number of you I can ask specifically to step into a need when it arises. And you do that well. And some of you have that ability and haven't made yourself available that way yet. We have, to, we have to remember that's what God has called us to. The last thing we must remember as money managers, not money owners, is that often we feel like this, and I feel like this too, right? Often we feel like we don't have enough to be generous. 
but God knows exactly what's in the account and how we spend it. He knows our needs and he will always provide. It may not be in the ways that we like, but it will always be provision enough for us. I have often found that when I am generous, God is generous with me. When I am faithful with little, he often increases the little I have with a little bit more. I'm not saying God is going to make you wealthy if you give. Like Jeff said last week, I am saying that God gives us our money and cares how we spend it. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our third and final observation. Our success is found in obedience, not in the amount of return. Look back with me again at verse 13. It says this. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. How many servants did he give money to? 10. How many servants does it talk about in this story? Three. What happened to the other ones? Right? How does he evaluate all the servants? Let's take a look. Verse 15. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to. That means he brought all 10 back in so that he could find out how much they made in business. The first comes forward and says, Master, your mina's earned 10 more. He's given one. He's made 10 off of it. Well done. He gets 10 towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five. He's given one. He gets five. You'll be over five towns. Another one came in and said, here's Yamina. I buried in the cloth. Didn't happen. He talks about it. And he gets this rebuke. I will condemn you. If you knew about me, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Here's the interesting thing. In this parable, Jesus rewards those who have been faithful. But aside from the difference in, this, in the amount of reward based on what they did with it, he blesses those. He encourages those. He, he praises those who have made money from the money they were given, Right? Did he in any way blast the one who made five for not making 10? No. He wasn't told, hey, you could have made more. He gets praised exactly the same way and he gets rewarded. He gets rewarded according to his ability, but he still gets rewarded just like the one who gave 10. There's no difference. They're both rewarded and praised for what they've done. The reward size is in accordance with their faithfulness, but the one who made five was not reprimanded for making 10. Even the servant called wicked is told if he had simply put it in the bank, it would have made interest. And the implication is you wouldn't be in trouble. At least it would have been something. Now, what about the other seven? I don't know. The Bible doesn't mention them, so we have no idea. So this is just Jared. This is not the Bible. Okay, just Jared, not the Bible. I think one of them did put it in the bank. And I think Jesus is like, or the parable, the king is like, um, you could have at least done what this guy did, right? Like, I mean, here, look, it wasn't much, but whatever. I think the other seven either lost the money or they just basically brought it back with no return, but they tried. But we know that whatever they brought wasn't five or 10 and Jesus doesn't chastise them. The only one he chastises is the one that hid it, that purposefully did not use it for the purposes of the kingdom. And so it's not the amount that Jesus is praising here, but whether or not the servants are faithfulness. In Jesus' eyes, it's not about the amount, it's about the faithfulness. We know this is part of the lesson because Luke connects the punishment of the wicked servant to those who oppose the king's rule in the first place. The idea is that the servant who doesn't use the king's money for the king's purposes is working against the kingdom as much as those who directly opposed his rule. It says this, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given and from the one who does not have even what he has will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Family in God's kingdom, the heart and intent behind our actions are what God is constantly evaluating. 
Do we love him more than what he's given us? Do we value him and his will over our wants, needs, and desires? Are we managing his money in a way that shows we love God and people? So here's what we learned today. God entrusts us with his resources to further his kingdom. God is a generous God that we are money managers, not money owners, and that our success is found in obedience, not in the amount of return. I want to encourage us to be honest with ourselves as, and wrestle with these ideas in the coming weeks. Do we see ourselves as managers of God's account, or do we look at it as something we're giving to God out of what we already have? Are we looking for ways to advance his kingdom through our church? Are we truly faithful in the small things? Are we generous even if we don't have much? These are big questions with big implications, but I believe God wants us to engage in them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we reflect on what you've said to us through praise and scripture. We express our gratitude for all you are doing in us and through us. As we prepare to leave, we ask that you help us love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. And now to this community of Christ apprentices, we pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.